0: If you're like most Americans, you probably wish there was some magic way to invest your money and know you're going to have enough income to guarantee a very happy, fun-filled retirement, right? Well, sadly, most of us don't possess the skills to understand the whole complex world of economics. And in today's multimedia world, where do you go to get reliable information and stories that you can actually comprehend? I'm Bob Long. We welcome you to another edition of Stats and Stories. It's a program where we look at the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. And our focus today basically is on economic journalism and storytelling. And if you're a fan of public radio, I know you'll definitely know our guest. But before we talk to him, Stats and Stories reporter Reese Thibault has a story to get us ready for our discussion.
1: Miami-bred entrepreneurs have found success in starting businesses from coffee shops to nonprofits. They've also found homes at some well-known companies, like Uber and Twitter. Assistant Director of Miami's Center for Social Entrepreneurship, Brian Bergman, says the department prepares students by forcing them to think about the most important aspect of starting a business.
2: Have a problem. Have a real problem. Uh, oftentimes, you have somebody who comes in who has an idea. And, and ideas are great, but th- the fact of the matter is, is it's got to it's be a problem and and i think that the degree to which that problem is felt by society is 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 really a question that most people don't think about when they first come in right and so i have this idea blah 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 we've already jumped straight to the solution we haven't really talked about the problem and how we're going to solve the problem
1: miami teaches three areas of entrepreneurship social corporate and startup but Bergman says they all have the same foundation.
2: I think the process is the same, right? I mean, again, you've got very clear questions. You've got to, you've got to ask an answer of what's the problem, who am I trying to solve, and how am I solving it for them? Um, a lot of the back-end stuff of are we going to be an online platform, are we going to be a mobile application, are we going to be a brick-and-mortar you know, factory, are we, w- those are all things that, that kind of evolve over time. But I, I think the process is still the same.
1: Director of the Institute for Entrepreneurship, Brett Smith, says even though the basics are the same, starting a tech company can be very different from a traditional brick-and-mortar startup. He says it's all about the money.
3: I think one of the things that has really changed in terms of the landscape of business startups is trying to prove some level of viability much earlier with much less cash. I think you really see that play out in the tech business, where you actually can build a scalable business with relatively little money. Um, So I think there are differences between industries that do significantly affect the entrepreneurial process.
1: And Smith says this has made the world of startups more accessible.
3: Right. So now anyone can create an app. And, and again, you don't have to be a business major. You don't have to know a tremendous amount about technology. That's why you see more people moving in as both it's become more attractive, more interesting, but the barriers have been lowered. It's become much easier to do it without risking a gazillion dollars without, you know, having this tremendous amount of investment of time or money.
1: However, he says just because you make an app doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur.
3: Anyone can do it. Anyone can build something. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a viable business opportunity. And that's the only issue.
1: At the end of the day, Smith says it all comes back to the basics of entrepreneurship.
3: I, I think too often people just go out and, and start something, right? And they don't they don't identify any. They don't identify something that is some value to someone before we raise money, before we try and do anything about getting it out there and distributing it and marketing it. We've got to figure out whether or not anyone cares and will they will they actually pay you for
1: it. For stats and stories, I'm Reese Thibault.
0: Thanks, Reese. Our special guest today on Stats and Stories is Alex Bloomberg, and he is an entrepreneur. Alex is also a radio journalist and the co-founder with Adam Davidson of the This American Life NPR co-production, Planet Money. Alex and Adam co-produced The Giant Pool of Money, which the Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute named one of the top ten works of journalism in the past decade. He has launched his own for-profit podcast that focuses on narrative journalism and storytelling. Also joining us on Stats and Stories for our discussion of economic journalism are Miami University Media Journalism and Film Chair, Richard Campbell, and Statistics Department Chair, John Baylor. Alex has a host of other top journalism awards, too, so Alex, we welcome you today.
4: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Richard Campbell, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to start.
4: Uh, Alex, it's good to have you here. And Bob mentioned giant pool of money, and this yeah, is in a beautiful uh, radio voice.
5: Right? My dad, <laughs> yes, he, he does have voice. a <laughs> it's amazing. But,
4: so uh, this is a this is a a program in a series that we're very fond of, and it goes back to uh, when John and I taught a, an honors class together called News and Numbers, and we used giant pool of money, and I've continued to use it ever since. And I use it as, a, as an example of how you take something that's very complicated and tell a story about it that's comprehensive. So the other thing about that's that, it, it came out like five months before the economy collapsed. And I tell students all the time, you know, if you had listened to that, you could probably <laughs> predict what was going to happen. But uh, could you talk a little bit about where that series came from, and how you got your hands around telling a story that complicated
5: uh well i I mean for me, it came out of just a personal obsession with um I'd been working in public radio for a long time, so I hadn't really had very much money uh and i wasn't used to, and i'd graduated during a, a recession so i i you know and during a, what i now realize was a was a was a particular moment in in american financial history where interest rates were very high and it was very hard to get a loan uh, but that i sort of thought that was that was real life and so and I hadn't really paid much attention because I didn't have any money anyway so I wasn't gonna get any loans and I didn't have that much credit card debt and I wasn't gonna buy a house because I didn't have enough money to buy a house so I hadn't really paid attention to it for a long time and then all of a sudden I have finally have a good job and uh you know I'm making a little bit of money and all and I and this one of my colleagues was like oh I just bought a house and I was like oh how'd you buy a house because the last thing I had heard about buying a house was like a decade old you know of like sort of like oh you got to they really r- run you through the ringer. You gotta have a huge down payment. You gotta have, and I knew this woman. I knew she didn't have that much, m- you know, money s- saved away. I was like, "How did you, you know, did you put a down payment down?" And she was like, "Oh no, they didn't. They didn't need a down payment. We just we went and just bought it." And I was like, "Oh, you can do that?" And she said, "Yeah." And uh, and um. And, and then, you know, and also, you know, everybody I knew had huge credit card debt, you know, and there was just like, there was just all this money being lent. And, and, and when I started looking around, I realized that the world had changed dramatically since the last time i had ever sort of paid attention, which was, you know, sort of, you know, when I was you know graduating and there was all this news you know about interest rates and stuff so i so th- that became sort of my obsession i was like what what's happened what has changed and why are people why are people all of a sudden why are banks all of a sudden lending all this money to people that they wouldn't have lent money to before um, and then just continued to you know so i that was my obsession i started looking into it um, and you know as i sort of trying to try to unpack the answer that was in like maybe like 2005 that I first became aware of that. And as I started unpacking the answer, I became aware of, you know, of this whole community of people that were sort of watching this rise with alarm. You know, There was all these blogs. There was this blog that I really loved called Calculated Risk, which was a housing finance blog that became sort of my guide. It was like written by this guy with a background in real estate and he was just really smart and they had a huge, great community. So I just started learning about all this stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, what's going on. It's officially crazy. Now there's a guy on a blog who says so. So, uh, (laughs) um, so, uh, you know, so I so that that was sort of what got me into it. And then it was just a matter of like once I fully understood it for myself, I was trying to figure out how do you tell that story back to people.
0: Yeah. John Baylor, go to you next.
6: Well you know, one thing about that story was there's just such a tremendous amount of numeric information that was yeah. that you were trying to wade through. Mm-hmm. You know, what were some of the sources that you, you found that you had to dive into and, and how did you how did you find yourself getting your head around that?
5: Um, it was really complicated and I, and I think one of the things i think you know when you're talking about trying to how do you tell a story that involves a lot of numbers um, first of all you can't sort of you have to you have to figure out what you can and what you can't tell and i and you know there's there's a beautiful structure to the cdo like it is actually when you actually break down what it actually looks how it works and sort of like the waterfall structure and you know it's an actual it's a it's a pretty amazing You know, some really smart people came up with this way of sort of like spreading risk in a really cool way, Um, and so there's a beauty to it that that I really once I understood, I was like, oh, we have to talk about that, and there was just no way it resisted explanation on the radio. (laughs) So, so part of it is just like trying to figure out like you know what you can and can't say, but then I think the main thing is just, especially in financial journalism, you know, I think there's a huge tendency to pretend like you know what they're talking about, and to not appear dumb. And I think um, you have to just ask dumb questions over and over again, and like when I think back to some of the sort of like ridiculously naive questions that I was asking really, really smart people in the very beginning, um, You know, it was. You know, it's sort of embarrassing to think back on now, knowing now what I know. But like, you you have to do that. You know, you have to be. You have to be. You have to be okay with looking dumb and asking dumb questions and asking super basic questions. Because sometimes people are like, "Well, that's that's a stupid basic question, and I'm, I'm not going to answer that question." And then sometimes people are like, "You know, I've never thought of it because." We're too advanced to even think about this question, but that's actually a really good question. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like you know, why is this considered not risky? Um, just because it's the way historically it has been, but like then you say, but what happens if this? And they're like, I don't know. What happens if that? You know, and that's a, you know, so sometimes the the dumb question is the right question. Yeah.
0: You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we talk about the statistics behind the story and the stories behind the statistics, and today we are talking about the whole field of financial journalism. I'm Bob Long. Our regular panelists are Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor, Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell, and radio journalist and entrepreneur Alex Bloomberg is our special guest. Alex has now launched his own for-profit podcast focusing on narrative journalism and storytelling, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, after a bit. One point you just made. That I know from being a, a journalist, I think everybody in the room, if you're in a room of 10 journalists, you're always afraid of being the guy asking the, the dumb question that ever all the other nine people have in their head. Yeah. Um, how do you also get another thing I found out is sometimes trying to get people who have all this information but they don't know how to explain it on a common level for people was that another difficult part of it
5: too absolutely and and so from for me what that meant was was finding people that i could talk have these off the record conversations with who could who at least could explain it to me you mm-hmm. know and so there was a guy who was a sort of a source for this for that story who who was the first person and you know he was a he worked at a hedge fund and he was a friend of a friend of a friend who had found through you know the ways you find people and um over the course of you know several weeks, he spent like probably three hours with me on the phone, just t- explaining what a CDO was and how it worked, and what he thought was the, the sort of like. And first of all, he was like, he was short the housing market. He was thinking like, this is crazy, what's going on? And you know, like the the way these things are being repackaged, it's it's, it's people think it's not risky at all, and in fact, it's concentrating the risk. Um, so he was making that bet, but uh, but but more than that he was just willing to sit with me because because so many people for him he was he was he was sort of involved in the same process I was like he was from a financial standpoint but basically he was like this seems really weird and it seems like people are miss they're mispricing this risk you know and for him that was an opportunity to sort of like if people are mispricing that risk and things go the way I think it's going to go I'm going to make some money but but it was the same project. We were something looks weird here, and I want to figure out what's going on. So he'd been on the same project that I was, and he explained to me how it worked.
6: John Baylor. So, in the, in the spirit of asking naive questions, I, I'm <laughs> going to represent the, the, the A yeah. knight, someone who's who, who doesn't I think about risk in, a, in lots of contexts. Uh-huh. But I but I want want to ask you to kind of clarify. You said risk, and you talked about shorting the market. So, you know, you talked about certain financial instruments that were being considered or being employed mm-hmm. in in this in this story. So you know that's that's pretty complicated to think about this. What, so could you give you know for, for the folks that are listening to this that, that may have never thought about this, what do you mean by risk and mm-hmm. maybe, what, what do you mean by shorting the market?:
5: Right. so, so uh, this is something that we you know like at Planet Money, every time we would talk, there were certain words that we just banned. And there were certain <laughs> words that were just because they were just jargon. But they're not. But they're not like you know. I'm not even talking about like you know, sort of like con, you know, you know, convex yield curves. I'm talking about like like super basic sort of like investor. We wouldn't have people say the word investor because like you know because in a lot of the financial press they'll say investors are worried about this and and for most people who don't. What's an investor? What does that even mean? Does that mean like my 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 grandpa who has savings bonds? Does that mean you know like me who has a mutual? Fund? What are we talking about? So, so um, so and uh, risk is one of those, and bonds are one of those. So risk basically for me is when you talk to a lot of financial people and they'll say there's no way to make money without risk. So basically, the way you make money in finance, very basically, is you have some cash that's yours or somebody else's that you're managing, and You give it to somebody else in the hopes that they're going to do something productive with it and give you more back later, (laughs) right? And and sometimes uh, and so and and so sometimes that's really simple, like uh, give me this money, I'm going to buy you a house and I'm going to pay you back year over year. Sometimes it's like give me that money and I'm going to go create a new invention that's going to make us all really really rich. Um, And what people the reason and the reasons people give for being able to give you your money back. That's risk. So some people are like, I have a great job. I'm never gonna lose my job. I want a little bit of money to buy a house and I will definitely pay you back because I'm good for it. And look, here's my credit history and here's the kind of job I have. And that's low risk. So you give them money and they don't need to pay you back that much because they're low risk. Right. Some people are like, I've, um, I haven't I have had a job for a long time but trust me, I'm getting, I'm kicked my crack addiction and I'm gonna get myself back on, this, on this soon. Uh, can I have some money? They're high risk. So you demand more money to give them back. That's risk. Yeah. We, yeah.
6: we sometimes talk about it in, in other contexts. is probability of adverse outcome. Yes. So here, yeah. adverse outcome is yeah. you don't get your money back. Either. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's an adverse outcome. All
4: right. Richard. So John is the numbers guy. I'm the narrative guy here. So... Uh, but you, you brought up the word investor, and this mm-hmm. reminds me of your new podcast, right. Startup, uh-huh. where you use the word investor well, one, a lot. Yeah. Okay, that so that one,
5: we're using it for specific people.
4: That's you know, like, right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But there's a moment in, invest, in the first episode mm-hmm. where you're talking to this guy, and he's telling you how to tighten up – he tells you to tighten up your story. Mm-hmm. So, here you have the investor who's talking about narrative and the yeah. importance of story, and you're pitched to him you're trying to get money from him to to start this new business. So, what did you learn from that experience and and it, you were in this odd situation you're the storyteller you're yeah. going out to get money, and this guy's telling you, "Hey, tighten up your story right so well, it was a humbling
5: experience <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like I mean, that's not something that people have, i mean well you know it's both humbling but it's also it shouldn't have surprised me because essentially i've never done a story even in that in a field where i know what i'm doing where it's been right the first time like you know essentially somebody is always telling me to tighten up my story that's what an edit is uh and i am a huge believer in editing i've never done nothing is ever right the first time nothing uh and i've seen it now i've worked with you know some of the fanciest writers you can imagine I
4: hope and you're telling that to all of our students I have it's never <laughs> write the first time yeah uh,
5: and the, their 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 first draft sucked just as much as anyways you know and so um, so I hadn't really thought about it until you just mentioned that but but essentially what that pitch was a first draft um, and uh, and it was a first draft to uh, somebody who perhaps it should have been a second or third draft too. you know I should have tried it on other people before I tried it like that was like sort of swinging for the fences right out you know like he was a big time investor but um But, uh, you know, but it's not surprising that he was telling me that. Um, But it was I mean, obviously, it was really humbling. You know, it's like it's like it's surprising. The other thing that I realized, though, um, doing this is that, you you know, talk about the importance of narrative. I thought getting into business that there would be. That it would be way more numbers, and you know, it, you know, it, it would may, be way more stats professor and not very much media professor. And it turns out it's a way more media professor and not very much stats professor. Like the numbers are there purely as plot elements. Mm-hmm. They're there purely as like sort of like oh no, and this this is a realistic detail. Um, but they're not they are not the story and the story is what you're telling and how you use those numbers and deploy yeah. them. Yeah
4: one of the things I liked about it was that in this in your new podcast, you reveal so much of the process mm-hmm. that you're going through yeah. and you sort of lay yourself bare here. We talked about yeah. and you're not afraid mm-hmm. to be humble and to act stupid and and yeah. learn from this guy, yeah. which is really good. and he gives you your pitch, right? Yeah I would well I add one correction. I am very afraid <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but,
5: but, do but you anyway. do it anyway. (laughs) yeah we haven't had we haven't done one episode where we haven't been like are we going too far is this too much are we revealing too much because and, and partly, like, I know it's going to be, you know, I know that when you make yourself vulnerable, like, it, it connects with an audience. Like, I know that. Like, I like that when people do that. And, and it's like when you, when they're opening up a door and they're being honest with you you, you respond to that as a listener. But one of the big fears is that, like, we are actually trying to start a business and we are actually trying to get investors. And we are talking about things that you don't talk about with your investors, like your own hopes and your own fears, your own fears that, like, maybe you're not dreaming big enough and maybe you don't want to dream big enough and maybe if you dream. Bigger, it'll ruin your family. Like those are not things that people talk to their investors about. You know, like your job to an investor is just to sort of say, like, no, this is going to be. I'm going to be the Google of blah blah blah. You know, and like, I'm going to be the Uber of whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so um, so that's been really. But you know, once we opened this conversation, the crazy thing is that like, y- you know, I found out since then like so many entrepreneurs have been writing to me and sort of saying like, this is something that we wrestle with all the time. The issue that you're talking about we talk about it all the time and, and that's what I was hoping I was hoping that I, I can't be alone feeling these feelings so so
0: and it turns out that was true <laughs> John Baylor go to you next
6: I'd like to follow up in, I love the quote numbers as, as plot elements mm-hmm. and and I would I would also suggest that that uh, you can't be effective if you're a statistician unless you can can translate I mean mm-hmm. you, you have to be able to translate a, a complex story into some representation that you can understand right. and then once you've done that that work if you can't communicate it back out then you're not going to, to be successful in any work that you do as well, right? So, I, but I'm I'm, I'm really I, I love the images number numbers <laughs> as plot elements, and I, I want you to know that, that I will I will employ that frequently <laughs> with with, prop, with proper attribution. So, Wonderful. thank you. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: You are listening to Stats and Stories. Today, we are talking about economic journalism and narrative reporting, and our regular panelists are Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor, Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. I'm Bob Long, and we're of course very very pleased to have with us. Entrepreneur and radio journalist Alex Bloomberg. And Alex has uh, launched his own for-profit podcast, as you can tell, uh, focusing on narrative journalism and storytelling. Richard, I'll go to you for uh, the next question.
4: Yeah, let, let's talk about stepping away from public radio mm-hmm. and and deciding that podcasting was the future. Although I think that's that's up for grabs in the first two episodes of startup <laughs> that I've listened to. But uh, why did you why did you walk away? I mean you know, people know you, we follow you, that what, are there some things you felt like you couldn't do?
5: Um, well it was, it was a really hard decision. Um, and it was a decision that I, that I d- sort of didn't, like if somebody else would have done this thing, I think I wouldn't have done it. You know, it was one of those things where in the beginning, at least now that I'm doing it, I'm I'm really excited like it's like once you know we have a little office now we're like you know like we built a studio where you know it's just it's just an unbelievably exciting feeling um in the beginning I, I just kept it like I did I had a great job in public radio and, and I loved I love public radio you know I still do and I, and I and I and I love you know I come out of that tradition I think you know the best audio journalism in the world is on public radio um and the reason that I left was really because I just wanted more of it. And I felt like there, there wasn't – to me it just felt like, okay, you know, you got Planet Money, you got Radiolab, you got This American Life. You know, the world wants it. You know, we've seen it. Like shoot, they shoot to the top of iTunes, you know, and like there's, a, there's a, this crowd of people is growing, the people who listen this way. You know, let's just make more you know sure. we should make more that's what that's people are telling us they want more
4: there there's a moment in uh, the first episode where uh, your investor is telling you things that are the downside of what you're doing yeah, yeah. and one of the things is you're you're working upstream in a in a technological world where our attention spans are shorter and shorter and stories get shorter and shorter Mm -hmm. You're you're doing long form journalism. Right. So how do you how do you kind of go against the current that way? Well, I I think I I think that's I think that's not true. Mm -hmm.
5: Basically, I think if you look at the way now uh, there's all different kinds of media and there's all different ways to consume it. So if you look at reading, there's you know, there's there's lots and lots of stuff being written, lots of you know, there's like, so at the same time, for every BuzzFeed, you know, I give you you know, a, an online forum devoted entirely to fan fiction. You know, mm-hmm. that's of like epic books where like lots and lots right. of people are reading them. Um, and for every YouTube video that's three minutes long, I give you, you know, Game of Thrones and Mad Men that are like, you know, essentially, you know, hours long, sort of like massive, mm-hmm. you know, novels on on television. Uh, so, so I think both things exist in the world of podcasts, especially. You know, I was just talking to a, a group of students up here and. And we were talking about this, and she was talking about Spotify and how you know this is Spotify for songs, and but it's hard for podcasts. and I was saying you know it's probably it's because like podcasts are generally really long, like most podcasts are like an hour and a half, two hours long, you know uh some of them are four hours long, they go on forever, and some of them are great at that length. you know, some people are great. you know, Dan Carlin does this podcast hardcore history, and that's got you know huge following and those those are three, four hours long. so some people can can sustain it, but you know a lot of them could use some editing. Uh, and uh, and so I was saying, so we're coming in, we're doing them, we're actually doing them shorter than most of them. You know, we're, we're talking, I think for me, the sweet spot's 15, 45 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually comparing to this one of the students I was saying that like, we're, you know, there hasn't really been a pop song of of. Spoken word, and and essentially, we're sort of the pop song. We're trying to make it hooky, <laughs> you know. So we're short, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. Um, we're trying to like catch you in the beginning. We're trying to give you like sort of like things that you keep you listening all the way through. You know, we're like thinking about this as like sort of like the same way that a great pop song writer thinks about how do you craft a great pop song. We're trying to think about keeping it engaging.
0: Mm-hmm. I know, of course, the public radio audience. Uh-huh oftentimes would be people in their late 20s, 30s, 40s. uh, Do you see, because you mentioned the younger people, and to me, the internet is like, to them, (laughs) they watch TV on the internet, and they do everything on the internet. So do you really kind of see that as the future in journalism, that everything is going to tend to go there like and that's is that part of why oh. you think for the younger audience that's going to be the future for YouTube.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean absolutely. The, 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 you know, especially and I think I think audio in particular has been spared the fate that a lot of other that has hit a lot of other media and and we're no there there it's about to end for audio. So Television cable comes along, and all of a sudden, a gazillion choices. Then networks will never see the numbers they they saw, you know, during the farewell of Mash or whatever. You know, they'll never see that again. That's gone. Um, uh, newspapers, you will never see that. You know, the, the the funnel of money that they had when they had classifieds and you know subscriptions and all the advertisers. Right, like all that stuff has been dispersed. Um, radio for a long time, it was still AM FM band in your car. Most listening happens in your car. But now with streaming cars, connected cars, like that's about to go away. Most, most people still listen to the radio, but like it's starting to change and it's gonna change faster and faster and faster and there, that's gonna be the thing that hits. So so there's there's no question that that will be, that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, most people will probably not be listening to the AM FM band probably in their cars. They'll probably be listening to some version of streaming something, I would imagine. Maybe, you know, it happens slower, Cars you know, people replace their cars slowly and so but but that that future has to be coming.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. John? You know, we we uh, pitched this idea of of stats and stories, the idea of the stories behind statistics and statistics behind stories. Mm-hmm. Are there are there particularly hard stories to tell that have a strong data content? I mean, I, the financial ones are, are, are ones where yeah. there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of jargon that, that yeah. goes there. Are there are there others that come to mind for you? And as well, are, are there sort of secrets that you might share in terms of trying to paint these pictures with, that have these complex numerics sort of foundations to the stories?
5: Um, there, yeah. I mean, a lot, of, excuse me, a lot of math stories are really, really hard to tell. Um, they... I mean, and part of it is like you, you, you sort of like part of it is really knowing like there's some stories that are just, I would say impossible. Like you just can't, you know, there's a reason when you're teaching stats, you have a blackboard, <laughs> you know, you need to see, you know, and there's like, imagine trying to teach your course without like visual references. It would be, it would be impossible. So, so there's certain things that it's hard. What I try to do is I try to keep the numbers out of it as much as possible and keep it to the principle of sort of like, and then. The reason you want to tell, like, what, what what audio is really good at is telling stories of human drama, telling stories. And so to the extent that you can connect the number, put it at the heart of a story. Um, like I did, Um. so the best, so the, the actually I think my, the, my, when it comes to telling stories about statistics, my my proudest work was a story that we did for, that I did for This American Life called, What's in a number, and it was about this guy who'd gone it was it was during the Iraq war and this guy went and did this um study in The Lancet about how many civilians how many how many people were killed by um by the war uh and it was one of these there was a rock body count that was trying to count people, but it was like literally just counting news reports and this guy was like he'd been a mortality researcher he'd gone to you know he'd researched the effects of war on you know in in uh, I can't. Remember. I think it was Congo and, and a couple other war zones. So he had and he had this method of how he did it. And then he released this report on the Iraq War, and it blew up in this firestorm because people were like, you know, taking him to task for all these things. And it turned out one of the big things that he, had, the, the 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 main focus of the of the um, of the ire was his confidence interval. Right. So this is like how, you know, so this is sort of like you, you come out with a number and then there's a confidence interval around that number. Right. Like how close if the number is five, if the confidence interval is like, I don't know. And you, you can tell me, but, you know, if it's like five, then it could be zero or it could be 10. Right. Uh, and so um, and so his confidence interval was very wide. And so people like took him to task for that.
0: Richard, we have time for one more question. Oh, I'll give that to you.
4: <laughs> so uh, we've got this this show Stats and Mm -hmm. Stories that's a a podcast so do you have some advice for us and should John (laughs) should should John and I quit our day job follow you do we have what do you think
5: well you guys do a nice job you keep it moving I like that like I feel like it's got you know it's got a nice rhythm to it um I think uh, the I'm a big believer in like trying to find a story to attach to something, you know, and like that that has been what's worked for me. If I can tell sort of like if it can start if a place that it begins, and then and then you're sort of introducing the statistic or the 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 topic through somebody's personal story. Um, that's what I always try to do, and that, that to me that feels like that's a way of sort of like hooking people, you know, is it is if there's like if it if it if it if there's a plot. You know, I like a plot, <laughs> yeah. and most of our radio stories have plots. Yes. You know, there's a beginning, and then there's a middle, and there's an end, uh, and you can sort of lay it out what that is. You know, um, so uh, so that I always feel that that helps.
0: Yeah, I also kind of like. What we're doing because it doesn't have the exact time clock that you do when you're on an NPR oh, show. <laughs> so great. If we if we wanted to go 32 minutes, we can yeah. make it go 32. Right. Minutes. And yeah. The
5: only your, only your only signal is you know like your gut like is this yeah, going right. on too long. Right. Yeah. And
4: exactly. your,
0: your startup episodes are
4: different lengths. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which no, that's is the kind greatest nice thing about. Yeah, this. It's, it's a yeah. wonderful thing. Yeah. So should we keep our jobs? We have, <laughs> we have a future in this. I want an answer.
5: to I, that. Uh, that is a good radio moment. You're good. You're pinning me Stay I tuned. would keep your I would I would not advise anybody to quit a good paying job <laughs> <laughs> to do this right now. Thank you. Alex.
0: Alex Bloomberg, thank you very much for sharing all of your insights about journalism and storytelling with us here on Stats and Stories. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with us on our program, you can just send your email to statsandstories at Miami O H Be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where where we try to focus on the stats behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.